This weekend, after Gonzaga's latest victory in conference play in the West Coast Conference, Ken Pomeroy tweeted out the largest conference scoring margins through 12 games since 1997. That's 23 seasons. Number one, Gonzaga this year. Number two, Gonzaga the, the year they went to the national title game. Number three, 99 Duke, which we remember they went to the national title game also. Number four, 2013 Florida. Through eight games of conference play, the number one all-time, or in this in this realm of 23 seasons, was also 2013 Florida. You may be thinking, who the heck is 2013 Florida? 2014 Florida went to the uh, Final Four with a Scotty Wilbekin and was uh, was quite a good team. Um, but 2013 Florida was is one of the strange teams I think in the Ken Palm era. <clears throat> they were number one in Ken Palm from the LSU game on January 12th. Um, through the rest of the season, except for entering their first uh, NCAA tournament game. Um, they finished the year number two overall in, in uh, Ken Palm. Um, number one that season was, let me check, Louisville, which ended up winning a national title, but of course it didn't actually really happen because they, well, you know, you know about Rick Pitino and the, and the strippers and the prostitutes and everything. But uh, <laughs> back, <laughs> back to Florida. Um, the strange thing about Florida is they really didn't have very many good wins that whole season. If you look at their schedule, they had a, their second game of the season. They beat Wisconsin at home by 18. And other than that, they didn't have an A win, I mean, an equivalent top 50 win in Ken Palm until the second round of the NCAA tournament when they defeated Minnesota by 14. And then they only got number three seed in the NCAA tournament despite having such a dominant conference season. And they ended up losing the Elite Eight to Michigan. And they actually had a pretty easy road to the Elite Eight because they played that upstart Florida Gulf Coast team in the Sweet 16. They lost to Michigan by 20 um, in the Elite Eight game in a game that they trailed 23-5 to right off the bat and never got closer than 14. Um, part of the reason why this happened, why this seemingly good but not outstanding or kind of remarkable Florida team is this kind of footnote in history for de- dominant conference plays because the SEC was really bad. This was the nadir of the SEC. They were the number seven ranked conference in America that year um, behind the other five major conferences plus the Mountain West. Um, and it, I mean, Florida was a good team, but when you look at uh, the SEC uh, and you look at um, Florida's schedule, you see Here's the rankings of the teams they played in order. 113 Georgia, 102 LSU, 95 Texas A&M, 25 Missouri, 113 Georgia, 256 Mississippi State, 209 South Carolina, 34 Mississippi, 80 Arkansas, 256 Mississippi State. And even Kentucky was 55th in Ken Palm that year. Which That's is, the uh, NIT yeah. year for Kentucky. Yeah, that was the uh, famous Nerlens Noel runs into the basket at Vanderbilt, and you know the team kind of falls apart, and uh, they make the NIT, losing to Robert Morris, a game they played at Robert Morris, even though Kentucky was the one seed, Robert Morris was the eight seed, because I guess they had no interest in hosting an NIT game. Um, anyway, w- I'm not sure what the point of this is, but I think part of it is Gonzaga is ridiculously dominant in conference play this year, and that's interesting. But at the same time, Florida is one of the most dominant teams, at least through the first part of a conference season in the in the last 25 years of college basketball in 2013, and yet we really don't remember them at all. Yeah, forgotten team. That Elite Eight game was terrible. That whole Elite Eight, I believe, was terrible. And, uh, yeah, I obviously, as a Kansas fan, wasn't super interested in watching that Elite Eight game after Kansas lost in overtime to Michigan uh, that that Friday night. So That was not a good Friday for Kansas. <laughs> no, it was bad. Uh, but, hey, this Gonzaga team already has a better schedule than that Florida team uh, did. I think they have a better resume. So we'll see how their 
uh, tournament goes. I know there are a lot of Gonzaga skeptics out there, myself included, as far as like, are they true national contenders? But they're definitely going to be on the deserve to be on the top two lines. That's for sure. Bonus the rest of the way. Double two bonus as well. Right. Two free throws. Both teams will be on the double bonus, so we'll have two the rest of the way. Welcome to episode 17 of the Double Bonus Podcast, along with Brendan DeRocher, and I'm Tom Borstein. It's been eight days since we talked to you last. We've got a lot to talk about today and a lot to look forward to. This week's kind of been a recalibrating week for college basketball. Um, there weren't that many big games. Of course, there was Tennessee-Kentucky, which we'll talk about. But this is all setting up for the final stretch of the conference season. This is what this upcoming week is what ESPN is calling Rivalry Week. Duke and Carolina play for the first time this week. We finally get uh, Michigan and Michigan State playing at the end of this week. Um, and the Big 12 is in chaos. We have all sorts of stuff to talk about. Before we get to that, just remember, please rate us on Apple podcast wherever you rate your podcast five stars please you can follow us at, on twitter at double bonus pod you can email us at double bonus pod at gmail.com and you can find us wherever good podcasts are available spotify itunes uh google play you name it we're there and brendan yeah five stars or higher five stars or higher uh, yeah like, yeah five plus stars yeah 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 minimum yeah brendan how was your weekend uh my weekend was pretty good um i went up to my my home region New England. God's country. Um, yeah, yeah, indeed. Um, on Saturday, uh, went to the Providence Savior game, uh, which I guess in a season of disappointment for Providence, the second half of that game was probably the nadir of, uh, of the season to date. Well, of the conference season, at least. They did blow like a 20-point second half lead to UMass at home. But um, basically, it became a dunk fest for Xavier after Providence led all the entire first half. And it, I, I don't know. It was... So that was the disappointing part of Saturday. But I went to my niece's uh, birthday party. She turned 12, and it was happy uh, she birthday. Celebrated, yeah, happy birthday to Abby, and uh, she had a Harry Potter themed birthday. So that was interesting. My wife did a lot of the decorating while I was uh, watching Providence play miserable basketball at the Dunkin' Donuts Center. Um, and then Sunday, uh, after hanging out with my family, I went up to Boston to visit some friends, and uh, and then took the train back. Um, I did watch. Uh, beyond the Kentucky-Tennessee game. Uh, I was sorry, I watched the Kentucky-Tennessee game as well as the Providence-Avery game and followed the scores otherwise. Um, and Friday night has some interesting games too as well, which I'll mention uh, when we get to our sixes good. What about you, uh, Tom? What was your weekend like? Good weekend. Went out to New Jersey, saw some family, uh, relaxed, celebrated all our presidents except the current one. Uh, so we're doing good there. And uh, yeah, pretty good. Watched some college basketball on Saturday. It wasn't the best lineup of games this week, but as I said, it... It sets us up well for the rest of the season. Yeah, I just want to note that Tom has just confirmed that he celebrated uh, both Ronald Reagan and George W. Bush. Um, <laughs> Not really. I mean, they were for, like they're uh, at the bottom of the list. <laughs> yeah. yeah. I mean, for someone that slightly to the left of uh, of Lenin is a, is a pretty <laughs> pretty good. Uh, I mean, it just it shows that he's an, an, an empathetic person and he really uh, he understands the difficulty of the office. Um, so I, you know, I, it's only a few men that really understand it. It's like the 43 men or whatever have sat in the office. Plus Tom really understands how difficult it is to be president. Good job getting 43 in there. Cause we of course had two, one repeat. So yeah. good old yeah. Grover Cleveland. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, New Jersey. I, I see a lot of Grover Cleveland stuff in New Jersey. I didn't realize, I just always in my head thought he was from Ohio. His name's Cleveland, but so. yeah. Who was our, speaking of six is good before we get to that. Who was our sixth president, Brendan? Let's see. We have Washington. 
Adams. I'll count it out. Just tell oh, it right now. You uh, should know right now. Come on, come on, come on. Anyone it can was... count it out. <laughs> but, uh... What is this, an amateur hour? <laughs> um, do... John Quincy Adams. That's correct. Good job. Yes. Right. Well, it's interesting because we just got back from the Amtrak train, and uh, as I was trying to do some last-minute prep for this podcast, my wife says, hey, your show's on, your show's on. And I said, what show? And she refused to tell me. She made me walk into the room where I saw an, an aged-looking Paul Giamatti as John Adams in the uh, HBO uh, miniseries, John Adams. And uh, so here we are, talking about John Adams, John Quincy Adams, um, and maybe historian Henry Adams. Um, yeah. Uh, you know, Michael Adams was a really good basketball player at Boston College. Um, I, I think I'm out of Adams's. But... Pat Adams, the referee. Yeah, there he's we no go. Ron, he's no Ron Groover. Let's put that. No, way. no, he's not. Do you want to start us off with sixes, good Brendan? What did you see this weekend? Yeah, let's start off. Well, this is this is this is the the story of the week in college basketball. I feel like you need to talk about it a little bit. Uh, it was from last Tuesday. A weird, weird night in college basketball. A, a, a rare night where college basketball seemed to be the th- the thing um, in sports that people were talking about. Um, and Louisville played Duke. And Louisville led Duke by 23 points with less than 10 minutes to go. And Louisville lost to Duke after Duke finished in a 35-10 to 10 run. Um, it tied the ACC record for the biggest rally in league history. And it uh, matching Virginia's feat against Duke 24 years ago. Only uh, Virginia Commonwealth, 1993, has come back from a larger deficit that late in the game. So VCU has the record for largest deficit in the last, I guess, 10 minutes of the game. They were 26 down to South Florida and won in overtime back in 1993. Um, and, and I think before we get to this weird game and kind of the, you know, people talk about how Duke is, is everyone's talking about Duke, but. They're just compelling, I gotta say. I, I, I've grown up hating Duke. I don't think I hate them quite as much as I used to, but I used to revel in all of Duke's losses, especially in the NCAA tournament. But they are just an interesting team, and they're playing interesting games, even though most of them are blowouts. But Louisville, on the other hand, they had a ridiculously bad blown game last year against Virginia. And I just want to I want to talk this through with you um, because I watched the video again this week and it brought to mind this game because of what Duke did in kind of pressing uh, Virginia. So Louisville was up uh, four with a few seconds left and um, the Louisville player fouled Ty Jerome shooting a three, which, you know, is completely dumb, but Jerome missed the shot. So, okay, he has three shots at the foul line with um, – like 0.5 seconds left, I think is what it is. He makes the first two foul shots, and Virginia is down by two. The third foul shot is missed, and we're trying to miss it intentionally for a tip, but Virginia is called for a lane violation, so no time comes off the clock. Louisville has the ball to bounds, up two. They have a timeout left, but David Padgett, I think wisely, says don't call timeout, because he says, he, you can see a motion, call timeout if you get in trouble and you can't inbounds the ball. Um, and it's uh, Adele Deng, I think, was the was the inbounder. Louisville was really best player last year, and you can see the um, the official pointing emphatically to the spot where the inbounds is going to take place, meaning you cannot run the baseline. Right, which normally you can do after made when you inbound after your opponents make a basket, which is yeah. pretty much the only other time you inbound along your own baseline. Yeah. Uh, so it's understandable. Yeah. So even though the it was emphatically motioned by the official dang kind of takes a two or three kind of side hops to try to get a better angle to inbound the ball and was rightly called for traveling at which point i believe it's ty jerome gets the inbounds for virginia 
And with this still a half second left, inbounds it to DeAndre Hunter, who banks in a three, and Virginia wins by one. Which, So I guess my question to you is, which is the more improbable and which is the more painful defeat? Um, way, to, way to lose a game. The Louisville loss to Virginia last year or this Louisville loss at Duke? I got to say, I think the um, it's tough. You say up 23 to Duke at home, just that. I would say the other one, the four-point lead... I, don't know, I think the four-point lead is worse and more and less probable. It's tough to say though. Twenty-three with nine twenty-six to go, you really got to work hard to do it. But the thing about the the most recent game on Tuesday is Duke. I thought Duke was going to win that game with two minutes to go in the game. That's how bad the comeback was for <laughs> Louisville. Like they were down two points with two minutes to go. Like they they flipped the switch already. It wasn't like they rallied in like one in the last second. They had control of the game, even though they were losing. You know, if there was like a live money line on the game, Duke would have been favored with two minutes to go in the game. So in a seven-minute stretch, they turned a 23-point deficit into a game more likely than not they were going to win. Uh, the Virginia game is just incompetence and just really bad luck. It was like two or three plays. So I think it's just so much that, that all had to go right. Whereas in the um, in the Duke game, really, just Louisville is a lot. They're a lot of they have a lot of blood on their own hands because they. They just were. They acted like they never seen a zone before. I think Chris Mack has got a lot. Like has to take a lot of heat for this. The Duke goes to a pressing zone. At one point, Louisville, I think, from, from like seven minutes to six minutes, turned the ball over on four straight possessions in a span of 102. Then they had the zone and they were getting open looks easily, but they were shooting with 15 seconds left on the shot clock. Like you got to start running the clock off here if you're going to face the zone. It wasn't like they weren't getting looks. They could easily have gotten them with two seconds left or five seconds left on the shot clock. I just want to give a shout-out to Jimmy Dykes, who was calling this game with Reese Davis. And he said when it was down 23, it's over, but it's not over, because Duke can go on a 10-0 run like no other team in the country. And he was all over it. He was just all over everything Louisville was doing wrong. Duke had some stumbles, too, along the way, but still managed to come back. And I think Louisville just didn't take care of the ball, didn't manage the clock well, and it came back to bite him. And they almost blew it on Saturday, too. They were very lucky to beat Clemson. So... What a strange week for Louisville. I think Pat Ford said they need to get a psychologist, but it was just a, just a bad. It was a bad week for Louisville. They escaped on Saturday. That's a really bad loss. Um, you really can't blow a 23-point lead. I know Duke's good. I know they're compelling. I know they're very good defensively. Trey Jones was huge in the comeback uh, pressing, but you just just take care of the ball. Like just act like you've seen a press before, and just you know, he, Chris Mack kept calling timeouts, but he couldn't get them to figure out what, how to attack the zone. It was just really bad. Just really bad all around from Louisville. But credit to Duke, obviously, for being amazing and coming back. Because, you know, I'm not saying Duke deserves no credit. I'm just saying Louisville really, really just to do like three or four different things and you would have won that game, no problem. Yeah, this game ranks as the 17th biggest comeback of the season. I think in part because Duke is so highly rated by Ken Pomeroy that um, they were only actually a 0.8% to win the game at, the, at their lowest point. But that still is only the... Uh, the 17th most unlikely comeback. The big, the most likely comeback still this year is Marquette over over Creighton when Creighton had the ball with like 0.3 seconds left and um and inbound the ball out of bounds and well, then Marquette in, and inbounded and shot it late. But uh, yeah, the reason it, that was so improbable was because he couldn't get a shot off in time and he didn't get the shot off in time, but they still gave it to him. So a major yeah. asterisk on that Marquette Creighton game. <laughs> Virginia Louisville last year ranked as the 11th least. Uh, likely comeback, and it was 0.7% was the minimum win probability in Virginia for that in that game. Um, before we move on to your first topic, I want to spend a little bit of time talking about uh, Duke and Virginia more at a macro level. Uh, Virginia, of course, came off a loss to Duke last week, and um, and they went on to beat North Carolina coming back from a seven-point deficit, and then they won at home against Notre Dame. And the last I was checked, they were 
the game is probably almost over right now. They won. They were... Tony Bennett, that good-looking gentleman, is being interviewed right now by Allison Williams on ESPN. They won yeah. pretty comfortably at Virginia Tech. Of course, Virginia Tech without Justin Robinson, um, they're very thin. I, at last check, they might have only had seven scholarship players, uh, but still a good road win for Virginia. Um, and so, the, so a little bit of Virginia talk, but I think the thing about the Virginia Duke game, and I think back to that game, and these are the to me the two most compelling teams in the country. They may meet two more times this year. Uh, they're both still playing well, coming off of that big game. Um, is so Duke defensively basically makes up for poor execution and poor decision making with incredible athleticism. You know, we saw that with Zion's block shot of DeAndre Hunter in the Duke Virginia game. We saw it in this Duke Louisville game where they were, you know, as Coach K said, that you guys are playing like losers. You're not losers, but you're playing like losers. And um, but they use our athleticism to just basically cr- uh, close down the space in the press and create a bunch of turnovers. Um, and I think the thing about the thing about Duke this year is is they clearly like playing for each other, and they have really good chemistry. Now, I mean. They've lost a couple of games, and but I think being down to Louisville by 23 points, coming back and winning that game, is a, a sign of a team that like actually enjoys playing with each other and likes each other. And I think that that's a really worrisome sign for those of us who are hoping that Duke doesn't win the national title this year, uh, because a really good team who might even dial it in a little bit more, like mentally, when it comes to the NCAA tournament and defense, uh, it could be quite difficult. The, the shooting again is going to be a problem, or could be a problem. You know, we talked about last week how Duke shot the lights out against um, uh, Virginia, but then they came out against Louisville, and, and no surprise, they didn't shoot well at all, um, and they fell behind. Um, they shot only 7 for 28 on threes, but then, of course, they had the big comeback. The, the next game, uh, they only shot 3 for 16 on threes, but still scored 94 points against North Carolina State, one by 16. So, uh, we'll, this is, these are two teams that we talk about every week, and maybe we over-talk about them, but I think they're the most interesting teams in the country right now. Um, and so that's what we had to talk about. But anyway, let's move, let's move on to two more interesting teams in the SEC, Tom. What, what, are, you, what are your thoughts on, uh, on the top of the SEC right now? Well, we had Kentucky and Tennessee play each other on Saturday night. Unquestionably the game of the week. Kentucky won that game going away. It's a statement win at home. Um, P.J. Washington's been playing great lady, lately at 23 points. Ashton Higgins was called out by Calipari before the game. He showed up in a big way. Grant Williams had only, I think, four shots. He's had 19 points because he got to the line for Tennessee. Uh, Rick Barnes is all over his team for being selfish. This team normally averages about uh, an assist on 60% of their field goals. They're about half that on Saturday. Um, I actually turned this game. I muted the TV and tried to finish my book at halftime, and I turned it on like a minute into the second half, and by then what, things what, were getting real. What book real. is this, Tom? Uh, Trinity by Louisa Hall. It's a fictional account of Robert Oppenheimer. Uh, you may know him from the uh, Atomic Bomb. So just like seven different – actually, pretty good book. You should check it out. Uh, anyway, so if, if you were to rate the book as the bomb or not the bomb, <laughs> what would you say? I would say, uh, I think, I think having read the book, I wouldn't use that analogy, but uh, yeah, it was exciting. Yeah, no, it was good. Um, anyway, back to uh, an explosive novel from Louisa Brown. Is there any? Louisa, Louisa Hall. Yeah. Louisa Hall. Yeah. Uh, yes. Anyway. Uh, <laughs> Yeah, so anyway, Kentucky now really looking like they're keeping the driver's seat for the SEC title. The question I have really for you is we know like we know what basically what Kentucky is. This doesn't really change our opinion of Kentucky too much. They went at home in a big way over Tennessee, but is it fair to get after Tennessee a little bit? They were the AP number one team in the country. Uh, they had played a soft schedule. I think Ken Palm tweeted that their schedule was about as soft in the conference as uh, 
as some of the Pac-12 teams. Uh, their last A win. I mean, that's an insult. Yeah, that is their, an insult. Their last A win was at Florida on January 12th. Uh, that's the only A win they have in the calendar year 2019. Obviously, they have a big win against Gonzaga on December 9th. Uh, but like, how, you know, Tennessee's not going to fall below the two line probably. But like, is this, this Tennessee team really deserve to be listed among uh, the best in college basketball? They're not that deep. That showed on Saturday. Um, they haven't played a super tough schedule. Their resume is not that great. Um, and so, th- did this open your eyes at all as far as Tennessee? Did this change your opinion at all for the Tennessee Volunteers? Yeah, I mean, I think I've always been. I've liked Tennessee, but didn't consider them. I mean, you and I, you know, when we do our top 25, I think we've been pretty um, lukewarm, I guess, on on Tennessee. If you look at it week by week, the first time we did it, we both had Tennessee ninth. The second time we did it, we both had Tennessee ninth. And the third time we did it on February 4th, you had Tennessee fifth, I had them sixth. So, you know, I think that that's about right. They're worth worthy of being in the top five, six, seven in college basketball. Um, this did, on game downs, it didn't do much for me in terms of, um, me thinking worse of Tennessee, maybe because I already had kind of a muted appreciation of them. I, I think that one of the problems is that their defense has just not been as good this year. 52nd in the country in adjusted defense a year after they were sixth. And it's basically the same team. And I'm not sure why. Um, and so I think that that is the biggest problem. I mean, part of it is their three-point defense is a lot worse this year, and that can tend to regress. It's gone from 30, 31.8% to 34.2%. But um, And the defense is still ranked second in the SEC, of course, caveated by it being a very easy SEC schedule. Even after the, the game at Kentucky, they still have the easiest schedule in the conference so far. Um, but we're going to find out more about them. And, you know, they, have, they, they host Vanderbilt, which, of course, they had a tough time at Vanderbilt previously. And then they have five straight A games, three of them on the road at LSU, at Mississippi, home to Kentucky, home to Mississippi State, and at Auburn. Um, and, you know, Ken Palm has them going 15-3, and three, so that means they finish 4-2. and two. If they finish 4-2, and two, are people going to be more skeptical about them or less? I, I don't know. I just I think that basically they've been nationally overrated, but not overrated by you and me. And so now people are, like, kind of – they built them up to tear them down, and now they had a t- bad performance at Kentucky – against a Kentucky team that's really playing well right now. You know, we can talk about the LSU game maybe a little bit. Um, but, and I think people kind of like the idea of like, oh, well, we always knew Tennessee. They don't have the talent. They're kind of a fraud. They haven't had a very good schedule. But they won the SEC title last year, shared it. They're, they're like still a top 10 Ken Palm team. This is a, a good team. Um, and they lost a game to a really good team on the road. By a lot. Yeah. So. Yeah. It was only their second loss of the year. Their first in regulation. They had wins over Gonzaga. Their other best win was they beat Louisville. Uh, they beat uh, Memphis on the road. It was not, which is whatever. Um, so yeah, we'll, we'll learn a lot more about Tennessee in the next three weeks because they have that rough finish to their SEC schedule uh, in the SEC tournament that will teach us a lot. But yeah, I'm a little worried about them from a bench perspective. Um, and just you know, Graham Williams was really taken out of this game, even though he, um, even though he scored, uh, whatever he scored, he just didn't. Uh, it wasn't a factor. He only shot the ball four times from the field. He ended up with uh, 16 points, but nine of those came, right, eight of those came from the free throw line. So, and he wasn't really a big rebounding guy. So, uh, we'll see. I think that yeah, uh, Kentucky looks really good, and they can play. Their ceiling's higher than Tennessee's, I think. Um, Tennessee's still dangerous. It's just yeah, I think I think we're on the same page with them. Yeah, last eight games for Kentucky, uh, P.J. Washington has scored 20 or more points in seven of them. 
and has been the Ken Palm MVP in all but one of them. Um, and that game was the win they had over Florida. Even the loss to LSU considered the best player in that game. Let's talk about that loss to LSU just briefly. One, because LSU's good, uh, but it was a big, good win for them. But two, I know you have some strong opinions about replay and strong opinions about bat, the, the idea of offensive goaltending. So uh, I just wanted you to maybe tell us what you thought about the end of that LSU-Kentucky game where LSU won by two. So basically, LSU won this game by two at Rupp Arena because um, they had a tip-in at the buzzer that was reviewed for whether it was on time or not, which it was, but it was clearly offensive goaltending, mm-hmm. and that's not reviewable. So the officials were able to look at the monitor to make sure that the tip-in happened before the buzzer, but they weren't able to say that it was offensive goaltending. Now, offensive goaltending is a stupid rule. The ball's going in. Who cares? Obviously, defensive. They've, you've done enough work to put it on the basket. If you want to help it on the way down, by all means. I know you disagree with me on this, but I think it's fine now. If the defensive team knocks it off, you know they're taking away the basket. But who cares if the offensive team wants to tap it in? So that's my position on this. So replay. If you gave me a choice, could I? I can go with more replay or no replay. I would choose no replay in all sports. Maybe tennis, I'd keep it. But we got way too much replay, and I think that expanding it's going to be a major problem. And that's going to happen in all sports. Maybe the NFL next year. Maybe college basketball. They keep looking at fouls um, on replay. Um, but look, it happens. It's a little. It is a little frustrating because there is a rule against offensive goaltending, and it was pretty clear. So I can understand why Kentucky would be frustrated that they can review the timing of the tip-in, which isn't subjective, but they can't review the offensive goaltending, which in theory is subjective. So I understand why people are upset, but I don't really. It didn't really bother me too much. Um. Yeah, and I still think that, you know, some people have pointed out that P.J. Washington's hand went th- into yeah. the cylinder on the first shot and kind of maybe maybe the backboard moved a little bit when he maybe grabbed the net or hit the rim, and that could have been a goaltend on the first shot. So uh, that, that and that's kind of the thing. It's like how far, when you're reviewing things, how far do you want to go back? Do you want to review, yeah. like, a, an illegal screen on the drive that, that led to the first shot? Do you want to review, like, whether the guy stepped over the end line inbounding the ball on the beginning of, you know, it's like it, you can review everything if you, uh, I don't know. I'm just not a big fan of replay review, honestly. My other thing I would change in replay is I would just eliminate the call on the court. Just just what is the most likely thing of replay show? What's the preponderance of the evidence? So if you think it went, if like you called it off one team, just disregard that. Then look at the replay new and say, well, which team does it look like it went off of? Don't say, well, the original call is this. So we have to have incontrovertible evidence that it's the opposite. No, just look at it and see what the, if you're going to use replay, just see what you can see and just make your best judgment off that. We saw that burn Creighton in the uh, Creighton Marquette game that you that we we discussed about as one of the uh, biggest comebacks of the season because yeah. uh, the call on the floor was good and the and the officials are, are you mentioned are told to kind of err on the side of calling baskets good and then review them but when you already call it good and it's a little bit tight on the replay but if you had gone in with a clear, clean slate probably would have been no shot or or not off in time but yet because you had already called it good you needed incontrovertible incontrovertible visual evidence um, that it was actually not off on time. So they called it good, and Mark ended up winning that game in overtime, and Creighton's actually had a really rough season uh, in the the aftermath of that. But let's go from John Calipari uh, at Kentucky to his old conference, the Atlantic 10. Um, There was an article that came out in the – well, I should find the name of the uh, publication. That's the UMass paper, um, student newspaper. Let me find – 
uh, it's called the Daily Collegian, maybe, is that possible? Yeah, the message is Daily Collegian, because we're about 25 years, I'm not sure the exact date, since um, the famous I'll Kill You game, uh, where UMass beat Temple at UMass, and then after the press conference, John Cheney came into the, uh, after his press conference, when Cal Perry was speaking to the media, John Cheney, the Temple coach, came in and yelled, I'll kill you, and like went to attack <laughs> Um, John Calipari and um, so it reminds me of the fact that when I was growing up the Atlantic 10 was like that was a serious serious league uh, with really good teams um, Temple we forget how good Temple was in the late 80s and early 90s because they never made the final four um, but they were a very very good team uh, and then and at that time, they had they had Eddie Jones, they had Aaron McKee, they had uh, Rick Brunson, the, the father of Jalen Brunson. Um, and, you know, you also had teams like uh, West Virginia was pretty good then before they joined the Big East. Um, University of Rhode Island was quite good then under Al Skinner. Um, St. Joe's was pretty good as well. And, uh, and then, of course, there's been a lot of turnover. We've seen West Virginia and Rutgers and, I mean, even earlier they had Penn State and and. Then they added Xavier, and then Xavier left for the Big East. Um, there's been a lot of turnover in that league, but it's really gone from being what really the AAC is right now as kind of that seventh conference, um, and in this case the AAC probably a little bit better than the Pac-12 this year, to being not even one of the better mid-major conferences. If you look at the Ken Pomeroy ratings, they are ra- they're up to 11th, but barely ahead of the Mountain West and the Ivy League even as the 12th and 13th conferences. Uh, they're, they're well behind where they've been in the past in terms of um, Ken Palm rankings. Their 11th rank is the worst they've had since 2007. This is not, so it's not like a really short-term problem for them. They've, they haven't been a very good lead for a while, except for a couple of years here and there. Um, this weekend, in, in their defense, they had some interesting kind of headlines. One was uh, VCU, the best team in the conference, the only top 60 team in the conference, went on the road and won at Dayton by one. Uh, VCU is coached by uh, Mike Rhodes, the former Rice coach. Um, he replaced uh, Will Wade, who's now at LSU, and we just about how great a season LSU is having. Um, also this weekend, Davidson, um, on Friday night, uh, beat St. Joe's by eight, and um, Davidson at that game was Steph Curry, and he like climbed into the student section. And it's a really great atmosphere at, at Dayton um, at uh, – what's the name of that arena? It, the arena has a name, but anyway. Bob uh, Bob McKillop is the coach at Davidson. The arena has and, no name. <laughs> the arena here. Well, well, someone will – we can maybe look it up. It's not – it's probably not that hard to look up. Maybe, let's yeah, see. It's called uh, Belk Arena after uh, Belk, the company, which – it's like some kind of store. Uh, but Bob McKillop also, he's obviously had some really good offenses. They had Steph Curry in the, in the mid to late 2000s. Um, they weren't part of the A-10 then. They were part of the Southern Conference. But uh, Bob McKillop, his offense has been actually copied almost entirely by uh, Rick Barnes. So obviously you've seen a lot of connections with some top teams, but the A-10 itself has not been as interesting The conference, has been down for a while now. And th- this year is one of the worst years that they've had. And as someone who grew up rooting for A-10 teams to see GW, remember when they had Mike Jarvis and they were a good team for a long period of time. UMass is terrible, despite beating Providence this year after being down by 20. Richmond had had some good teams, and they're not in the top 200 this year in Ken Palm. LaSalle made the Sweet 16 not too long ago. 
uh, under John Giannini, and they're 216 in Ken Palm. St. Bonaventure last year was good, and they lost the guy, some guys down to 144. St. Louis under Rick Majerus had some really good teams, and they're down to 130. Uh, George Mason also made the Final Four, and they're at 148 in Ken Palm. Um, and Dayton is a top 70 team still, but maybe a little bit, a bit down uh, after losing Archie Miller. Um, yeah, so I don't know. I just was thinking about the A-10 after I read that article. I recommend it. It, it wasn't the great... I think the thing, the thing about that article about the I'll Kill You 25-year anniversary is we didn't get like a reason about why it happened. Like, there was no kind of resolution to why it happened. It was exciting and interesting and compelling as a story, but we walk away and originally people were saying, oh, John Chaney was upset that John Calipari talked to the refs after the game even though his team won. And maybe that's why John Chaney attacked uh, <laughs> John Calipari, but it, it didn't actually happen. They actually did. I think it was Larry Lembo that the Daily Collegian talked to. He said no. He was. He said he had gotten home from the game, and then he got like a call from his boss, like the head of officiating for the A10 or whatever it was, and said, "What happened?" And he said, "What do you mean, what happened?" He said, <laughs> "John Chaney went and attacked John Calipari in the post-game press conference, and they said it's because they." John Calipari talked to the officials after the game, and it pissed off John Chaney. What did he say to you? And he's like, we, we didn't talk to John Calipari after the game at all. So it's like a, a big – it's still a mystery about why uh, – I guess it's just bad information, I guess, is maybe the conclusion you have to come to. But, of course, <laughs> UMass won four straight A-10 titles and was the uh, final four in 1996. And Temple still has not gotten to that final four, um, despite having several Elite Eight appearances and uh, – um, and of course, legendary coach John Chaney, who was uh, actually a legendary player at uh, historically black college um, as a collegian and uh, was a, a legendary coach as well, despite not ever making a final four. Yeah. Well, two things on the A-10. First of all, uh, you go to the bracket matrix right now. VCU is the only team in there in 11 seed. So that's first four territory. The last time they were in the first four, I think it was the last time that worked out well for them. Uh, Dayton's in the first four out. Um, the other thing, I went to a bar on Saturday to watch the game. As we got there around like 3.30. And there were several TVs in the bar, and the biggest one had on it NBCSN's coverage of Fordham URI. Now, it was in New York, and I know Fordham's football. Why? Who cares about this game? <laughs> like, well, let's get... And I know the other games were blowouts, but it wasn't that. It just maybe, probably was left... Honestly, it was probably... Well, no, there was no Premier League soccer on. So I have no idea why NBCSN was on this bar, but it was like... It, was, it, it went to it was, overtime, right? It was a pretty good game. Uh, I, I, I had them turn it off. I, was, I had no interest in watching this. I think it was going on concurrently with the Providence Xavier game. And, of course, being in Providence, people kind of keep track of the University of Rhode Island. So I was, you know, checking my phone and um, on that one. So anyway, we've talked about the A-10 enough. Let's move on to your second uh, point. Uh, yeah, my second point is the Big 12, which happened on Saturday. By the way, it did go overtime, 66-63, uh, four to one in overtime. But the Big 12 is in complete chaos right now. Uh, Saturday went very well for the Kansas Jayhawks. Uh, they smoked West Virginia without their two, without two key players who were dismissed from the team. Uh, Kansas State lost at Iowa State. Um, um, and actually, the game was in Kansas State. Actually, excuse me. And yeah, then. Yeah. Um, um, and then Dean Wade got hurt, though Dean Wade is playing right now against West Virginia in Morgantown. Uh, but right now, if you go to buy Ken Palm's predictions, there's going to be a four-way tie atop the Big 12. Um, and so Kansas really has a shot to extend their uh, you know, 14-year streak of winning at least a share of the Big 12 title. Right now, they have Kansas State, Texas Tech, Kansas, and Iowa State all projected to be 12-6. and six. So that's a four-way tie. Kansas State and West Virginia are playing right now. Kansas has a pretty easy schedule coming up. They're in the middle of their 
basically rest period where they've played one game, their West Virginia game at home. There's going to be the one game between their TCU game last Monday, which they won, and then the game against Texas Tech on Saturday. Um, Iowa State is uh, right now 8-4. and four. Kansas State's 9-3. and three. Texas Tech is 9-4. and four. So is Kansas. Uh, so this, this tor- uh, conference is wide open. I think we're obviously going to have a shared title of some way, some way, shape, or form. Uh, but Kansas State blowing it at home, or not, not losing it at home to Iowa State, really opened the door. So it's good news for them that Dean Wade's still playing. Uh, but this conference, which is really good, is just re- this is the king of the conference just eating its young and uh, just beating it up on itself. Because we're going to have a, the t- second or top-ranked conference in the country is going to have a champion probably with at least five and maybe six conference losses. Yeah, the one thing that um, I still think Kansas State is the favorite. If someone's going to win it outright, it'll be Kansas State. And that's because... You know, I think in Ken Palm, they're going to be slightly underrated because they're just 32nd and they had had that kind of poor start to the season when um, when Dean Wade missed several games. Um, now Cartier DR is out and could be out for a while, um, but he's not as important as Dean Wade. And But looking at the schedule, especially if Kansas State can get through this week without a loss at West Virginia home against Oklahoma State, they do have one of the easier schedules. They have the, They've played the second toughest schedule so far in the conference. Um, whereas Texas Tech played the second easiest schedule, Kansas played the third easiest schedule, and Iowa State has played the fourth easiest schedule. And so I think that you look at Kansas State's upcoming schedule, and I mentioned the two games coming up, and then they have at Kansas, obviously difficult, home to Baylor, at TCU, and home to Oklahoma. You know, I, I really think, you know, Ken Palm has been going 3-3. Three and three. I think 3-3 three and three would be a very disappointing result for, for Kansas State. I think that they really should go 4-2, and two. Um, and that would mean that they would lose – probably at Kansas and at TCU, but they'd have to find a way to make sure to beat both Baylor and Oklahoma at home and not slip up this week. So I, I still think that Kansas State, fourth in the conference in offense, third in the conference in defense, probably the most balanced overall team in the league, um, is the t- best team with the best chance to win outright, uh, particularly because of how the schedule breaks down. I'm inclined to agree. They're ninth in the country and of just the defensive efficiency. Uh Really, if you take what they've done against every team except Iowa State in the conference, they've done very well. They they lost to uh, Texas and Texas Tech back to back to start the season. Um, then they hung on to beat Iowa State by one. Uh, actually, had a miracle comeback against Iowa State, and then they lost to them uh, this week at home. Uh, Kansas is really going to rue the game against West Virginia that they lost. They were up in that game and just blew it down the stretch. That's going to hurt Kansas, though they kind of canceled it out by. Uh, a very fortunate win against TCU on this week. Last Monday. Yeah. yeah. So, yeah, this conference is it's it is what it is. It's a very solid conference with a you know tough. Every game is tough, and you have teams fighting it out. And we'll see uh, what this you know. I don't the, the the best team in this conference is probably gonna be a two seed in the NCAA tournament, even though it's the second best conference uh, in the country. So, well, interesting to see. But it will be an exciting finish. And Kansas's streak is definitely in jeopardy. And we'll see how they play. They're a little banged up as well. But, um, uh, yeah, I think it's Kansas. Not Kansas State to lose, but I think Kansas State. If you had to be, I think they're, I would be shocked if they're not in a tie for the Big 12 title. Yeah, I mean, it would take – yeah, I agree. Uh, move on. You know, the, the Big 12, just kind of as we move off of the Big 12, it doesn't get a claim because it doesn't have teams that tend to play for national championships. It doesn't, or it doesn't feel like they have teams that are that good, except for Kansas. And when Kansas is a little bit down like they are this year, people are like, oh, is the Big 12 really that good? But the answer is yes, the Big 12 is really that good. Um, it's just that it might have six teams from like eight 
to 30 in the country or 8 to 25, um, whereas a conference like uh, the ACC might have three or four teams in the top 10 or 15 and then uh, kind of a drop-off um, where it has kind of more sporadic, like Louisville, North Carolina State, Florida State, as you go down the list, and then a bunch of bad teams at the bottom. So on um, my third point, I'm going to talk about Nevada. Um, I don't much talk about when it comes to Nevada on the floor, but I think Nevada is becoming an interesting – uh, I don't know if it's a Rorschach shark test or a, or a litmus test or some kind of test for how people evaluate schedules and quality wins and, and, and the importance of few losses. So Nevada is now 24-1. and one. Um, They've been playing some of their best ball recently. They won at Wyoming by 33. Of course, Wyoming is 316th in Ken Palm. They beat New Mexico the, last time, the previous game by 29, the only thing that, that they lost to. Um, but we sit here on February 18th, and Nevada's ranked only 17th in the in Ken Palm, but they're ranked 6th in the AP poll. They have one A win the entire season. They have played the 114th toughest schedule in the country, um, and they only have one A game left for the rest of the season, and that is at Utah State on March 2nd. Um, they are a 4-seed in the bracket matrix. They were a 4-seed in the uh, reveal by the committee last weekend, but I heard a couple of podcasts where people evaluated and were asked, who do you think is too high, I think is too low, and in both podcasts, there seemed to be a good agreement that Nevada should be seated higher, and I just don't understand why. They're not in the top 16 in Ken Palm. They don't have, they have one quality, top 50 win all season, and that's at Fresno State. They have one loss to a very poor team by 27 on the road. Um, and, you know, I, I think what some would say, like Gary Parrish said in his podcast, like it's not their fault that USC and Arizona State um, and Utah and ended up being worse than – or in Loyola ended up being worse than expected. You know, it's like, okay, I, I get that. But at the same time, how do you evaluate how good a team is if they're not playing good teams? Uh, so I, I – <laughs> And and there has been the stretches where they haven't played that all that well in conference. You know they played. I, I guess they, they're playing pretty well. They're first in the conference in defense, second in offense. But anyway, do you what, what do you think about Nevada? Do you think one? I guess the more important question is not whether they be seated, but are they really good? And that's the first question. The second question is, do you think that say they win out and they go thirty-two and thirty-three and one, do you think they'll be a two seed? Uh, because no. they'll probably be like a four or five ranked team in the country at that point. Right, AP ranking. Uh, so several things. One, I've said this before about Nevada. They just don't. They have given us nothing to work with, and I think their whole season is going to be determined by how they do in the tournament. We know nothing about this team basically because they've played such a weird and bad schedule. And I mean, their loss is really bad. That's one of the worst losses in the country uh, this year. That loss they took uh, to New Mexico away to lose that game by whatever it was uh, 32. Uh, what is it 27 points yeah, 27, that's, yeah 27 points that's really bad number one number two their schedule stinks and it is i mean you can schedule more games you don't have to play just arizona state and usc you play in nevada you're you know you've you're a pretty notable power in the mountain west you could probably play some better games non-conference uh so it is kind of their fault and then the question is about about the seed line right now they're ranked i think 12th in the net ranking let me I just looked it up uh yeah they're 12th in the net ranking so i think again i'm still suspicious the ncaa is going to use the net ranking a little more than people think as far as determining who's in and the seeds, just because it's the first year of the ranking they want to give credence to it 
So I think they're definitely in line for a three seed. But like, how are they? If they, if they win out, who, which of these teams right now? Duke's guaranteed to be ahead of them, pretty much no matter what. Virginia two, Gonzaga yes, Tennessee probably unless they have really struggled. Kentucky, Michigan, Michigan State, North Carolina. So those are the teams on the two line on the bracket, one or two lines on the bracket matrix. We don't really see Nevada playing, passing any of them. Like who's vulnerable there? Tennessee. I feel like Tennessee is probably the most vulnerable because they have a really tough schedule. Um, you know, Michigan State and Michigan yeah. play each other twice, and Michigan State's pretty banged up. So you could see um, if someone wins both of those games, the other team might drop to a three seed. Um, yeah, but Michigan State's not that tough, actually. It's home to Rutgers at Michigan at Indiana, home to Nebraska, home to Michigan. So you get the two Michigan games, but other than that, it's like, eh. And then Michigan has um, the same thing, two Michigan State games, and they play home to Nebraska at Maryland, which is pretty tough, and at Minnesota. So this is actually pretty difficult. But... Um, yeah, no, I, I, I think I agree with you. I think that the three seed is the highest they should go. Uh, if they say they win every game of their season for by 25 points, I really do think that the three seed is the highest they should go. <laughs> and then the three line, just for argument, is I agree. Kansas, Houston, Marquette, which could win the Big East, and Purdue, who's been playing pretty well, and the computer's like Purdue as well. So yeah. who's going to drop feel, out of that? Feel, it feels kind of weak. It's a, it feels like a kind of weak set of three seeds, I'll be honest. So I don't see a problem with putting Nevada there. Um, yeah, but I mean they're but not they going to have the quality loss. wins. To, <laughs> yeah, like Kansas has a ton of quality wins. Marquette has a a lot of quality wins too, and Purdue is is racked up a bunch of. They have a lot of. They, Purdue's an interesting litmus test because they have a lot of losses. I think they have like seven losses. So Purdue has seven losses at eighteen and seven, and they're a three seed in bracket matrix. But um, Nevada has one loss, and they're a four seed. Uh, it's because. Purdue has, I count them, one, two, three, four, five, six, six A wins this season. Um, and uh, they're one, two, three, four, five. They're six and six in A games, whereas Nevada's one and oh, and then they have that bad loss. So. Yeah, I, I think Nevada will end up being. If you had to ask me right now, what will they end up being? I think they'll be a three seed. If they lose that game to Utah, Utah State, I think they'll be a four seed. But Or they lose in the. Uh, the Mountain West tournament, I think they'll be a four seed. But if they win out, I think they'll be a three seed, and I think that's fair, I guess. But again, I, we they could be really good or they could not be good. Uh, it's tough to say just because their schedule is such a weak sampling of data. Yeah, and another conference that's had a great history, the Mountain West, much of like the A10, is just not very good this year. Uh, even worse than the A10, actually, um, despite the fact that it has a top whatever team. What do you think they're a top six team or a top 15 or a top 20 team? Yeah. Uh, my last point I want to talk about is the Louisiana State University Tigers under Will Wade. They are right now, if you go by Ken Palm, projected to finish in a tie for first place in the SEC. And I feel like no one's talked about them uh, that much this year. They're ranked 21 in Ken Palm. They are 21 and 4 overall. Their losses, three of them are totally excusable. Uh, neutral of Florida State in overtime. Then they lost to Oklahoma State. That's a bad loss. Neutral. Uh, Houston away, fine. And then Arkansas at home. By one point, so their resume is pretty clean. They played a pretty tough SEC schedule. They've won at Arkansas, at Mississippi, at Mississippi State, home to Auburn, at Kentucky, which we talked about. Um, they are, they have uh, Florida this week, and then Tennessee on Saturday in a big game there. It's gonna be another test for Tennessee. Um, this LSU team is, you know, flown under the radar. They obviously don't have the names that Kentucky has. They don't have the names that uh, Tennessee has. But Will Wade's done a very good job with this team. And if they win the SEC or share of it, I think they're going to be a dangerous team. They'll be put on the top four lines, possibly in the uh, 
in the bracket, and who knows where they can go. I just think the SEC, everyone talks about Kentucky, Tennessee, and Florida's disappointment, but uh, LSU has really shown something uh, with the likes of Tremont Waters and Naz Reed uh, this year, and so I just want to give them a little bit credit. That win against Kentucky, controversy aside, they were in the game the whole way. It wasn't like they were given the game on a bad call. Like They deserve to be in that position and be, be the beneficiary of that break, if you want to call it a break. Yeah, I mean, LSU, if we're talking about Kentucky and how well they're playing, which they are, LSU and Tennessee and Ken Palmer are picked to finish 15 and 3 and then tie for first place uh, in the conference. I feel like they both, both teams have benefited, especially um, Tennessee so far, but by kind of a weak conference schedule, although Kentucky has a bottom five conference schedule in the SC as well. When you're a top team, you're going to play a slightly weaker schedule just because you're not going to play yourself. yourself. Yeah. yeah. Um, but LSU's schedule has not been especially hard in conference and the rest of their schedule unlike tennessee's is not especially hard they do host tennessee on saturday like you mentioned they play florida twice which though florida is ranked pretty high by ken palm still at 29 they've been disappointing um and they host vanderbilt and texas a&m two of the worst teams in the conference and they play at alabama so you know even though maybe lsu isn't as good as tennessee and kentucky they similar to kansas state they have an inside track at the SEC title because they have such a, um, a weak relative schedule. Their defense so far has only been six in the conference, and their interior defense is dead last in the conference. Uh, sec- their two-point percentage defense is 14th of 14. Um, so they do have some vulnerabilities defensively, and part of that is that Nas Reed is basically their center that you mentioned, and he's, n- he's not been a particularly good interior defender. Um, he's more of like a stretch five who has the size to go inside and rebound, but he's taken 62 three-point attempts this year. Um, Cavell Bigby Williams is more of their shot blocker, but he uh, he doesn't play quite as much. Uh, he's the 6'11 senior. Um, yeah, I've been skeptical, skeptical about LSU this year, and you know the win at, at Kentucky and then holding on to beat Georgia. They were down in that game significantly. Um, at one point, they were, well, I guess they were only down by five. But still, down by five at a bad Georgia team. They uh, came back and won that game by four. Um, it was an important win to kind of solidify. It's kind of like in tennis where you kind of solidify your break. They won at Kentucky. Then you can't go and lose at Georgia. But then yeah. that that kind of solidified their break. Um, yeah. So let's move on to No Homers Club. I'll start it. It's really gone from bad to worse for my teams. Um Around the time we were recording last week on Sunday, Northwestern was playing uh, one of their best uh, halves of, or really games of the season at Iowa. They were up uh, towards the end of the game. Um, Let me get the exact score. Uh, At one point, I think this is their highest spot, they were up by 11 points with a little more than two minutes to go. Um, And they lost in regulation. Um, They lost in a three-pointer on regulation. They they, like Louisville, couldn't handle the press. They also missed some free throws. And basically, their lack of point guard play has really hurt them again um, because Vic Law and Ryan Taylor, who were handling the ball most of the time, were unreliable. Uh, they ended up with only 15 turnovers, but I think about five or six of them came in the last few minutes. And um, despite scoring 1.13 points per possession on the road at Iowa, uh, they lost because Joe Wieskamp hit the three-pointer, which is something that he does seem like every game. The last game against Rutgers, they were similarly trailing um, late, and uh, and they won that game. They were down 
um, 68 to 69-68, and Iowa scored at the buzzer to win the game. Um, so that was Northwestern's first loss since we recorded last. After that, they played at home against Rutgers. Very winnable game, you would think, but they lost. Uh, that was Wednesday night, 59-56, and then they went to Nebraska on Saturday, and they lost by nine to a Nebraska team that um, has now won two straight after losing seven straight. Um, I don't know what to say. The, the worst part about Northwestern is unlike Providence. So Northwestern, they're bad. They're 12-13. and 13, They're 3-11 and 11 in a really tough conference. Their offense is last in the conference. And their two best players are seniors, Vic Law and Derek Pardon. They're not coming back. So, like, <laughs> they're going to be really bad next year. Um, I, I know they have some young players who are going to develop. Um, but, yeah, it's, it's just a, this is a team that had enough to make the NCAA tournament this year. Um, but they were lacking a point guard. They dismissed a freshman recruit point guard before the season. Um, and then for North, for Providence, you know, Providence, I, I felt that was going to be a little more optimistic. I, I felt they were going to win on Saturday, and they played really well for the most part against Villanova on, on Wednesday. They went to Villanova, um, played well for about 35 minutes, and then Villanova kind of just annihilated them the last few minutes of the game. It was, um, it was 55... Um, 53 Providence with 10 minutes to go in the game um, at Villanova. And even with five minutes to go, it was 68-63 Villanova. So they were still in the game for 35 minutes, but then Villanova went in a 17-4 to run to finish the game, win by 18. Okay, that stinks. They couldn't hold up. But an interesting thing to take away from this, from more of a national perspective on Villanova, because we didn't talk about the Big East um, in the Six is Good segment, is... Providence's guards, uh, fairly physical, good defensive guards, Drew Edwards, Mackay Ashton Langford, David Duke, were all in foul trouble during this game. And when you're in foul trouble facing Villanova, what they do is they spread you out and they will go. They're not going to set so many ball screens so much at the top. They're going to spread you out and have like guys like Phil Booth kind of just drive very aggressively to the hole and challenge you to stop them without fouling and so once you get in foul trouble then suddenly you need to pitch from the side because you need to help out your guy who can't foul and then they get open three-pointers or they get backdoor looks to Demir Cosby Roundtree um and so that's one thing about Villanova is you got to stay out of foul trouble with your guards or have a lot of guards who can play defense and the the we talked about already they um they Providence led by seven late in the first half and six at halftime and uh didn't really show up the second half, and that was, uh, that was a major bummer. Um, and now Providence is in the last place in the uh, in the Big East, and they've also fallen out of first place in defense in the conference. They're now third behind um, Marquette and St. John's after Xavier uh, put uh, put a pretty good performance on them. And Providence has now picked to finish six and twelve in conference, which put them one game behind four teams: uh, Georgetown, Xavier, DePaul, and Creighton um, in dead last place in the Big East. What about you, Tom? Oh uh, yeah, so I'm sorry. The optimism after that St. John's win was short-lived. Uh, for Columbia, let's start with the bad news. They are the worst team in the Ivy League right now, and they're projected to finish three and eleven, which is pretty bad. They lost to Brown and Yale on the road, obviously. Oh, sorry, at home. No shame losing to Yale, by far the best team in the conference. Uh, but then they lost to Brown at home. Brown is not very good. Uh, they probably should have won that game. So in the Ivy League, by the way, the top four teams make the conference tournament, uh, which is a sore subject for me. I think no team should make the conference tournament. It should just be the winner. And this is another year. Yale is going to get to play at home. They're the best team. Uh, they shouldn't even have to play the tournament. They're by far the best team in the conference. They're they're one game ahead of Harvard right now. They're projected to win by three games. So 
if that happens and they lose in the conference tournament, uh, it's going to be bad for the Ivy League. Anyway, that's enough about Columbia. Maybe one year they'll win the Ivy League. They haven't won the Ivy League, by the way, since 1968, just so that's clear. Uh, yeah. So Lyndon Lin- Lin- Johnson was president um, the day, uh, the last time they won. Anyway, that's enough about them. Kansas had a good week for them. Uh, they won two games. They closed the gap in the Big 12. I kind of alluded to that. Uh, beating West Virginia at home uh, when Asa Ahmad and Wesley Harris were kicked off the team is not an accomplishment. Uh, that spread was minus 14, and they won by... Uh, 25, so congratulations to them. The TCU game, they led throughout the second half, then had to win in overtime. Um, that was a great game for Mr. Ochai Abaji. They're now play, starting four. He had 20 points. They're now starting four freshmen, including Abaji, who was supposed to redshirt the whole year. So they're starting Dotson, Grimes, um, uh, Abaji, and McCormick right now. They're not playing that many guys off the bench. Um, so their depth is being tested. Obviously, Marcus Garrett, they hope he can be back for the game against Texas Tech, which is um, a very important game. If they want to win, continuing their streak of the Big 12, they play that Saturday. They're in the middle of their kind of rest period here. Uh, so Kansas is doing fine. Uh, they've certainly had worse weeks. Um, the big new, the big question is, can Garrett get healthy? And obviously, LeGerald Vick is still away from the team. Uh, who knows what his deal is? He's on a personal leave of absence back home in Memphis. So not sure about that, but this is a Kansas team that's depth has been tested. Um, remember, they thought they might have D'Souza this year. They didn't have him, and now they are playing people they didn't think they'd be playing the minutes. So credit to them, I guess, but they are Kansas, so they should have these resources. So we'll see. Uh, and they have only one game this week, Texas Tech, and they have Kansas State at home on Monday, big Monday next week. So those are two huge games in the Big 12 title race, uh, and those will be critical. We'll know a lot more than we do now after those two games. Yeah, I I watched uh, the second half in overtime of the Kansas TCU game, and um, Kansas did leave for most of the second half, and then TCU in a 13-0 run, and looked like Kansas was in big trouble, down four with about two minutes left, but they were able to tie it, and then in overtime they um, they pulled away and, and won by five points. One one thing that I had been calling for, and and you know you, others had been poo-pooed my suggestion is for more KJ Lawson, and in that game he had 10 points and four or five shooting. And, um, in 16 minutes and was a kind of a, a big part of it because they had a lot of foul trouble. They had um, Quentin Grimes, Dedrick, Dedrick Lawson, and Mitchell Lightfoot all, all fouled out of that game. Um, so I'll I don't take, know. I don't know I'll, take KJ Lawson. I'll take KJ Lawson out of uh, over Charlie Moore, that's for sure. So Charlie yeah. Moore, the famous New England uh, fisher, fisherman show. So Charlie Moore outdoors. Um, maybe you should go back to doing video, doing TV shows about fishing and not playing point guard in the in the Big 12. Yeah, um, maybe. Yeah. So let's move on to, we had an email uh, from our, our resident Virginia fan, the would-be assassin. Not really talking about um, Virginia so much, but more about mid-majors. Um, so I'm, it's, it's a little bit of a long email, but I think it's important to kind of set the scene. Um, he said, how do you feel about some of the chatter this year criticizing how teams like Oklahoma, Indiana, and Florida are even still in consideration despite such bad conference records? Um, basically, the, the the idea is what do you do about mid-majors who have very strong records but not as many quality wins as compared to mediocre major conference teams who have um, poor conference records, either 500 or worse, um, but who... Um, have a lot of quality wins and a lot of opportunities for quality wins. So he lists some teams, you know, um, 
uh, I'm going to mention the team and, and what their bracket matrix ranking is right now. Buffalo's a 7. They had a big win over Toledo on Friday night. Wofford a 10. Mississippi, and so I'll, I'll go through the mid-majors first. Buffalo a 7, Wofford a 10, Lipscomb a 12 at Atlantic Sun. Um, Utah State, first four out. Uh, VCU is an 11. UNC Greensboro, not really um, in the mix. UCF is an 11, if you consider American to be a mid-major. Um, St. Mary's is out. Um, San Francisco is next four out. Hofstra is a 13 seed, the top team in the Colonial. Um, Toledo is next four out. Furman next four out. Temple's a 12. Um, Belmont is a 12. And Liberty and, Mar- and Murray State are not really getting many uh, brackets. Uh, Davidson's first four out. And East Tennessee State is not really in the mix. And then the equivalent major conference teams, Mississippi State's a 7. NC State's a 10. Clemson's a 12. Nebraska is next four out. Florida is first four out. Oklahoma's a 10. Indiana's first four out. St. John's is a 9. They had a big win over Villanova on Sunday. Butler's a 12. Um, Creighton is out. Minnesota is a 10. Uh, Arkansas is out. Um, Seton Hall is an 11. And Arizona State is a 12. So, I mean, just, I guess, in principle... What do you think about kind of equivalent teams with similar net rankings, similar Ken Palm, like vaguely in the same area, 40s, 50s, 60s, but one team is a major conference team with some quality wins but a lot of losses, and one team is a mid-major team that has, say, 20-plus wins already with a really strong record but not many quality wins? Well, first we just talk about Indiana. Like, I'm blown away they're even still under consideration for – the tournament they're 13 and 12 overall they've won two games in 2019 they won that miracle game of michigan state and they beat uh illinois on january 3rd that's it they've lost all their other games so that means they're how many have they lost here they, all their big 10 games they're t- they're two and ten this year like what is going on there so i do if the question is do i want indiana in the in the tournament or do i want limscombe in the tournament give me limscombe uh but I think it depends on the team. Like, there's a different level of mid-major here. Like, Buffalo, obviously, if they lose the MAC tournament, they should still be in the tournament over all these other teams. But then you get to a Lipscomb, or you get to... And Nebraska's going to be out because they're banged up and they're not the same team they are right now. I think that's fair. Um, VCU, we talked about the A-10. It's no great shakes. Like, they might not deserve to make the tournament. Uh and most of these teams are all, all the, a lot of these teams we listed are on the bubble. So if honestly, if you ask me, I think it's better to have the mid-major team make it. But I know that's not the reality of it. So yeah, I would give the, I would give the, I would give the benefit to the mid-major team. But I know that's not uh, how it's done. Now the first, the uh, first four in Dayton will be a proving ground for some of these teams. And some of these, te- oh, a lot of these teams we talked about are ending up there. Um, so I don't know, but it seems like it's really a down year for those like fringe major conference teams. Like, do we really want Arizona state in the tournament? No, no. Who, so who else is on there? Do we really like Butler? They're a major conference team. They're not very good. Um, I guess we could, I don't know. Do we want them in the tournament? Florida, Florida, Florida has been terrible. Like they, what, what have they done? I just don't see why there's this clamoring to put, you know, like Florida, Indiana, Clemson's right on the edge. Mm-hmm. Uh, Mississippi State, I'm fine with. You know, it just depends. It's, it's, it's a, I don't know, I'm rambling here, but I don't know. It depends on the team. But Indiana, get them out, please. Like, I'm so, they they got blown out this week, too. They weren't, it wasn't even close. It yeah, was to Minnesota. 
They lost by tw- 21 points. I saw someone tweet, Indiana wants to go to the NCAA tournament. Like, I want to go to the dentist. Uh, <laughs> it's just, they don't want to go. Like, they're playing, like, absolute trash. They lost to Ohio State at home. It's They've just been bad. outscored in conference worse than Penn State and Northwestern have been outscored in conference. We already discussed that Penn State only has, I think, two conference wins, and Northwestern only has three conference wins. Um, it, it's, it's hard because... If you are basically evaluating the quality of a team's resume, then the question is how much benefit could you get for not losing versus how much benefit do you get for winning some quality games when you have a lot of opportunities? And I think that that's like the trickiest part, and that's why it's really hard for humans to do this because you look and you say, well, you look at, uh, I don't know, Clemson's probably a pretty good example as like a very bubbly team. Well, Clemson, they, uh, they beat Virginia Tech. They... They beat. They won at South Carolina. They beat Lipscomb straight up at home by 17. But they really, they only have one A win and and three B wins the whole season, and and they're 15 and 10 overall, five and seven in conference. Lipscomb is 21 and five, 12 and one. They have two A wins, a win at Liberty and a win at TCU, one B win, and then three of their five losses are A's. The other ones was home to Liberty and, and home to Belmont, which are actually both top D5 Kempom teams, but on the home. Homer doesn't count as a top 100 game. Um, the good news is that the net, and Thomas talked about his sense that the net will be used more by the committee to actually evaluate teams than the RPI was, which was just kind of an organizing metric. The net has, has rewarded um, a lot of teams relative to the RPI because they factor in the margin of victory. Like in the past, you know, you could be literally the best team in the country and beat everyone on your schedule by 60 points and not have a great RPI if you had a really bad schedule. There was no way to make up for a bad schedule. So that especially a problematic for teams in bad conferences because they can't control their schedule. But this year, we're seeing that Lipscomb, their net is 23 spots higher. And th- well, this is as of the writing of this article by Ken Pomeroy at uh, The Athletic. Lipscomb's 37th right now. Yeah. So as of uh, as of the writing on February 12th, six days ago, Lipscomb had a, a net that was 23 spots higher than its RPI. Wofford had a net that was 12 spots higher than its RPI. Furman had a net that was 12 spots higher than its RPI. And so as long as the net is continuing to weigh heavily margin of victory um, and or efficiency margin, however you want to um, describe it, it's two different ways to measure similar things. One is capped in the net and one is not. Um then te- teams who play weaker schedules will have a chance to have a net that is higher than it otherwise would be because you give them credit for blowing out teams out, basically. Now, you don't want to incentivize blowing teams out, but if you're in a bad conference, you have no other way to impress the committee after, like, January 1st. You know, the Southern Conference has a few games there, but basically, once this conference season starts, you basically have to just not lose because every loss is going to bring you down and very few wins are going to prop you up. So I think that the, if, if the net is overemphasizing margin of victory, it might be okay because it's, it's allowing some of these teams to get a little bit higher. Um, you know, I do hope – one thing I do hope happens is that – and I know they don't actively try to do this or um, – is that when they have some of the mid-majors that get in the tournament that they match them up against some of the major conference teams. Like what I really hated is – I remember like – I think Butler was matched up against like VCU one year or something, or Old Old Dominion or something like that. It's like no, these are why don't this is when Butler was in the horizon. Like put the mid major against the major conference. Let's have a little tournament. Let's have all the 12-5 and six eleven and seven yeah. ten games be mid major against like the fifth best team in the SEC or the ACC. Um, you know, because 
I think that's more interesting than if they happen to match it up so that it's like Buffalo, like Buffalo, if they finish like they're a seven seed or whatever, they should not be playing Wofford. No, they should play like NC State or Minnesota or something like that. Um, and similarly, Wofford should not be playing Buffalo. They should play like Mississippi or Iowa or Washington or something. You know, yeah. uh, I, I wish they would do that. I think it's more it makes it more interesting the first round, and it also gives a chance for like some of these mid-major leagues as as a whole at least to have a great showing one year. If they don't play each other, maybe you have a year where the mid-majors go like eleven and two, and the the mid-majors that are seated twelve or higher go like eleven and two or whatever it might be. So, I, I guess my overall point to the would-be assassin is that yeah, let's have more mid-majors this year, especially since Providence is not in the bubble. You know, screw everyone. Screw the major conference teams. Put put off, put them all in. I say, uh, and you know, I mean, judge teams fairly. Um, but like, you look at Texas. It's a it's a tough spot. Texas is in a really good conference. They've had a lot of losses though. They're 15 and 11 and 11 and six. Um, they only have three eight. Well, I guess they have four eight wins. It's pretty good. They won a neutral game against North Carolina. They beat Purdue at home. They won at Kansas State and they went and went at home against Kansas. Um, but they also have losses to Radford at home and Providence at home, um, and they're 15-11 overall. But they're a nine seed in the bracket matrix. So, like, what would, for instance, I don't know, VCU, whom they lost to at home by one, have done against the same schedule? I just don't know. They're VCU's 18 spots behind Texas and Ken Palm. Would they be 15-11 against the same schedule? Um, which is a very, very tough schedule. They're 19-6 and six against a much weaker schedule, the, 80, the 90th overall schedule in the country, whereas Texas has the 15th overall schedule in the country. It's hard. It's a hard. It's a pretty hard job, I it's guess. A, it, it is a hard game. First of all, one quick thing. That Butler-Old Dominion game in Washington was a pretty good game, and that led to the Butler-Pittsburgh game in Washington in the second round, which is another classic, so sometimes things happen. But... The, my other thing that I consider is some of these teams that are under 500 in conference, like we get, like Oklahoma looked really good to start the season. Now they're playing like trash. Is it because they're playing tougher games or because they were over their head and maybe overrated to start the season? Same thing with Indiana. Same thing with some of these other teams. So you have to weigh, like, recency bias is important and you know, and also just which teams are playing better because or playing worse because they're just starting to play tougher games and which teams are playing worse because we overestimated them. And I think Oklahoma, they're a 10 seed right now in the bracket matrix, but I think they might not make the tournament. I don't think they necessarily deserve to make the tournament if they keep going down the drain in the Big 12. So, I mean, how many Big 12 teams can make the tournament? Eight, which is kind of crazy in itself. Um, Oklahoma's you know, a... been outscored by 6.5 points per 100 possessions in conference play. That's six not and a half good. Points. And yeah. they have a really <laughs> tough schedule down the stretch, too. They play... Home to Texas at Iowa State, home to West Virginia, home to Kansas at Kansas State. They, they that, could seriously finish six and twelve without a problem. And that was a big, uh, that was a big win they had against TCU on Saturday, and also obviously a big loss for TCU at home to Oklahoma. Um, so again, I think that the 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 recency is important, and I think that um, it's just a balancing act, and it's hard to say. I just I would err at the NCAA is long aired on the side of the major conference teams. Um, I would say if you're going to do that, at least take the mid-majors out of the first four in Dayton, make it just major conference teams. You'll get better TV numbers that way. It'll be better. Have Arizona State play Oklahoma. Have Arizona State play Florida. At least you have two big names there rather than su- subjecting the mid-major to that. And we'll see. I think that the – yeah, looking at the net, by the way, Buffalo is loved. We talked about that. Um, we talked about Utah State is pretty high up in the net. Lipscomb's 37th. Utah State's 34th, so Wofford's 26th. So there are some teams that are sneaking in there, and those teams are 
as I said, I think they're protected by their net ranking. That's going to help them help them out if they run into some trouble in their conference tournament. So, but we'll see. It's a yeah. tough job though. And then that's why. And I know Brendan, you and I are the kings of doing this. But when they finally get the field straight, then they have like an hour, two hours, or three hours to get the matchups right. So then they kind of overlook that. It is a really difficult job to set out the bracket and making an appealing uh, setup for everything. So there are a lot of pieces in play. If you look at it, generally speaking, a top 50 team is going to make the, the that's like the cutoff line, basically, from getting in and getting out. Here are the top 50 teams that are not from major conferences. Number two, Gonzaga. Number four, this is the net ranking. Number four, Houston. That's two. You want, you want to count for me while I'm going Sure, through? I'll count. That's two. Number, yeah. number 11, Nevada. Three. Um, number 23, Buffalo. Four. Number 26, Wofford. Five. Number 27, Cincinnati. Six. Number 34, Utah State. Number Seven. 37, Lipscomb. Eight. Number 40, UCF. Nine. Number 43, VCU. Number Ten. 45, Furman. Number 47, St. Mary's. 12. Uh, and that's it. So 12. So we should expect um, like basically 12 of the top 12 seeds to be from non-major conferences. And if we, I think that's maybe that's a good over-under. If they actually put 12 in, um, well, is that going to be like, I guess let's look, let's look at last year. While, while we're here, let's look yeah. at the, uh, the 2018 NCAA tournament. How many teams from non-major conferences were in the, the top, top 12 seeds? So let me scroll down on here on the old Wikipedia. So in the South region, we had Cincinnati, Nevada. One, two. Loyola and Three. Davidson. So that's four. four. In the West region, we had Gonzaga, Five, Houston, six, San Diego State, and, seven, and South Dakota State. Eight. And in the East region, we had Wichita State. Nine. Uh, St. Bonaventure and ten, Murray State. Eleven. And then in the Midwest, we had Rhode Island. 12. And New Mexico State. 13. So last year, we had 13 who were 12 seeds or higher. So that includes also the first four. So that's going to be 50 teams. So I think we'll, we'll let's see if we do better or worse than 13. Um, I think we might do better because I think most of the 12 seeds are going to be from the mid-majors. And then we'll see how many other ones get in. I, I think I would say we'll probably be over uh, over 12. Over over thirteen. Well, maybe not over thirteen, but thirteen or, or more, maybe. Yeah, one bid league for the Pac-12. Also, let's keep that in mind. One Definitely bid Pac-12. Pac-12. Yeah. yeah. And the Big East has gotten five or six or even seven teams the last few years, and it looks like this year they're looking more like four. Uh, obviously, um, St. John solidified themselves as being more worthy of uh, being in with their win over um, Villanova, but besides. Marquette and Villanova, and I guess St. John's now, Seton Hall and Butler are right around the bubble. So I did not, they're probably not going to get five, although they could. It could be four. Um, anyway, let's move on to the picks. Yes. La- last week I was six and four, and you were four and six. So I'm making a little bit of a late run here. Um, and this week we have um, we have uh, 11 games to pick. We didn't, or no, tw- uh, we have 12 games. We didn't pick the games on Monday night because we're recording pretty late on Monday night. We know that Virginia Tech uh, lost to Virginia. What's the story with Kansas State, West Virginia? It's a, I'm watching. It's 28-all with 35 seconds to go in the first half. West yeah, Virginia that, hanging that's tough. A, <laughs> that's a must-win for Kansas State. They can't lose that game. That'd yeah. Be really bad. Um, so let's see. So let's start with. There's three good games on on Tuesday. We have Purdue favored by four at Indiana. Iowa favored by one at home against Maryland. And Clemson favored by one at home against Florida State. What do you think? 
Uh, well, Iowa came off a crazy win against Rutgers on the road on Saturday. They won by 71-69. They also beat Northwestern the previous week, as we talked about, 879. They've lived quite the charmed life. Um, so they're favored by one against Maryland, but give me Maryland uh, in that game, just because I think Iowa's luck is going to run out. Uh, then you have um, Clemson, Florida State. Uh, give me Florida State in that game. Clemson uh, pushed Louisville, but did not come through. And then uh, did I skip Purdue, uh, Indiana? Yeah. Yeah. Purdue uh, give by four at Indiana. Purdue, I'll take them. I, I can't stand watching Indiana right now. So, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, I was definitely high on Indiana early in the year, and I was wrong. So, um, so I am picking the same three teams. The one thing I wanted to note, since we haven't talked about them in a while, is that Florida State has – they had a, a really rough stretch there for um, – for a while, they lost four out of five and three in a row, including uh, at Pittsburgh and at Boston College, um, which, you know, Pittsburgh's decent. Although, remember when people were like, oh, Pittsburgh's really good, and now they've lost uh, nine in a row. Let's just make a note of that, um, including to Wake Forest and Boston College. But um, Florida State has now won seven in a row and is eight and four in conference. Um, they won at Georgia Tech last week. Georgia Tech has um, one of the worst offenses I've ever seen in a major conference team. They're 282 right now in Ken Palm. Um, and now the schedule gets a little bit tougher at Clemson, at North Carolina for Florida State uh, before they finish with a few home games, including a tough one against Virginia Tech. So they have a good chance if they can beat Clemson to maybe finish something like 13-5 and five in conference, which would uh, put them in really good shape to kind of overcome what was uh, a, a mediocre stretch and get back to a pretty high seed that could put them in a position to get back to the Elite Eight like they were last year. So Yeah, I feel anyway. like Florida, Florida State is totally a team. Everyone's going to forget about it. Then you'll wake up and they're playing someone crummy in the Sweet 16 and they're going to go to the Elite again. Could, totally could happen. Yep. Wouldn't be yep. surprised at all. So Wednesday, we have a couple of ACC games to talk about. Uh, Louisville is a one-point favorite at Syracuse, and Duke is an 11-point favorite at home against North Carolina. Now, this is an 11-point spread in Ken Palm land. I do not think that Vegas is going to make this a double-digit game. I'd be a little surprised. I think that's very high for a game between two teams. Carolina's playing well uh, despite their loss to Virginia. Had some injury issues. Um, so if you're giving me Carolina an 11 points, even at Duke, I'm taking Carolina in that game. Uh, and then the Syracuse-Louisville game, give me Louisville, though, of course, they've been very shaky of late. So, yeah. Okay. After agreeing on the Tuesday games, we're just agreeing on both of the Wednesday games. Uh, yeah. I'm taking North Car- uh, Duke to cover the 11 point spread. Um, North I'm Carolina. I'm just... a real spread for that game. Yeah. It's not. I... In, it's not in my favorite app for the score, which has uh, the spread here. But I, f- yeah. I feel like it's not going to be that far off. It's going to be nine at least. Yeah, nine is not 11 though. That's a big difference. Two. It's two. Yeah, it's a huge. But in in, in basketball, is a big difference between winning by nine and winning by eleven. Okay. Well, I'm I'm taking Duke. Okay. Duke's, Duke's good at basketball. Yeah, they um, are. No, they're not. Duke's winning the game probably, but yeah. I'll be rooting for North point. Carolina. I'll be sitting here rooting for. I will for be rooting Roy for North Carolina too. Yeah, maybe I'll call time out too. What could happen? <laughs> at some point. Yeah. Um, Before the end of the season, you know, it could happen. Get the sub. Get the walk-ons in. You know. Uh. So. UNC, of course, coming off the uh, 40, well, I shouldn't say of course, you may not know that, 38-point win over Wake Forest on the road in one of the top um, shooting performances of the season. Um, let me see if I can, where this ranks historically for uh, for North Carolina. Um, let's see, Wake Forest. What was the date? It was 2-16. 
19. Yep, there it is. The second highest field goal, effective field goal percentage in North Carolina Ken Palm history is 75.4%, only topped by a, a 99-82 win against Old Dominion on November 23rd, 2007. So the offense is definitely clicking. Um, Cameron Johnson had 27 points in that game. No one else had more than 10, despite North Carolina score, uh, scoring 95 points. The score 10 minutes into the game was 25-3, to 3, and then the score was 35-7. to 7. Yeah, yeah well, um, Danny Manning and um, Josh Passner uh, might not be uh, long for their jobs, let's put it that way. Um, no. So I'm taking North Carolina. Uh, I'm sorry, I'm taking Duke, despite the fact that North Carolina played so well against Wake Forest. I'm taking Syracuse over Louisville. Louisville has a good shooting, so you feel like that would be a problem for Syracuse. But I think at the Dome, uh, the 2-3 zone, the Orange, I feel like... I just think that Louisville's a little bit overrated. Syracuse did play quite poorly against um, NC State last Wednesday. That was our under-the-radar game, losing by 15. But then they'll be off for a whole week to prepare for Louisville. So um, Thursday and Friday are actually kind of week days for... Um, they are they are weekdays, but they're also week W E A K. Oh, I see what you did there for, for college yeah. basketball. So, but we do have an interesting lineup on Saturday. Um, I have six games listed here. Let's split them up into groups. Let's do three and three. Um, at, we have three games at noon that are interesting. Tennessee, one point favorite at LSU. Virginia, a four point favorite at Louisville, and and in a kind of the rematch or the the next year's game, the one we just talked about when Virginia had that amazing comeback, and a team that we just talked about at length, Oklahoma, a two-point favorite at home against Texas in the Matthew McConaughey rematch game. What, what are your thoughts, Tom? Uh, I like Tennessee to bounce back, at uh, even on the road to LSU. I know I spent my Six is Good segment hyping up LSU, but I think Tennessee's got the better players, so they'll win that game. Uh, give me Virginia at Louisville. I like Tony Bennett and the Chris Mack-Tony Bennett matchup. And give me Texas. Uh, on the road to Oklahoma. Oklahoma, as we said, has been just a disaster in Big 12 play. Texas is a very strange team, but they're not terrible. They're good. They're okay. So I'll take them against uh, Oklahoma. Texas is 7-6 and six in conference. We talked about that. They're playing a little bit better basketball of late. Their offense has been a bit stronger. Um, I'm taking Texas also. I'm also taking Virginia. Um, Virginia, or Duke is a six-point favorite at Louisville and won by only four, two. And then and so Louisville did cover. So you Louisville fans, if you bet on Louisville, you would have covered at least. So that's I know you blew a 23 point lead in the last 10 minutes of the game, but you did cover. So that's you know silver lining. Silver lining, yeah. Yeah. Um, but Texas is I'll take Texas as well as Virginia, but I'm gonna go the other way with um with you on one thing I want to know. Texas has played actually the easiest Big 12 schedule to date. So it's a little bit worrisome because they're not one of the best teams. Their last. Five games are at Oklahoma, at Baylor, home to Iowa State, at Texas Tech, and home to TCU. Not an easy game in that in that stretch. Um, but the other game, I'm taking LSU over Tennessee. Tremont Waters, third in the Ken Palm um, Player of the Year rankings in the SEC, uh, behind Grant Williams and P.J. Washington. Um, and I think his point guard play um, against Jordan Bone will be an advantage for LSU, and they'll have enough to win at home. The second set of three games we have on Saturday um, three different conferences, well, actually two different conferences. We have Iowa State, a two-point favorite at TCU. Purdue, a two-point favorite at Nebraska. And Texas Tech, a six-point favorite at home against Kansas. Six points. It's a lot of points. Give me the Jayhawks. I think that they've had a lot of big games in Big 12 under Bill Self during their streak, where people doubt them. Last year, Kansas came from behind against West Virginia. That was a critical game in their run to another Big 12 title. Give me Kansas in this game. Um, against Chris Beard, who's quite a lunatic, by the way. We're going to talk about this, but he'll walk on 
dunked the ball. <laughs> and he was flipping out. Like, let's just calm down. Like, and then he grabbed him and forced him to apologize. Just to, calm uh, down, Drew. Chris Beard, please. Like Scott Drew, you think Scott Drew cared at that point? First of all, you don't want to get embarrassed. Don't lose by 20 points, first of all. Number one. Number two, it's not like a starter did it. It was a walk-on. He had a one chance. Everyone's cheering. He's at home. They threw a lob to him. He dunked the ball. Like, what is the problem with that? I just don't understand. Like, is Scott Drew really going to go around saying, oh, this is such a disgraceful team? Also, Baylor, the basketball program, has no right to call any other program a disgrace for the rest of all time. So, Chris Beard, just calm down, okay? So, just relax. Anyway. Former Bob Knight assistant. Give me Kansas plus six. (laughs) <laughs> okay, I'm t- I, I picked Kansas originally, but now I'm going the other way. I'm, okay. I'm going with Texas Tech. But then, Fair of course, enough. if they're up by five late, you want them to go for the alley oop, but now they're definitely not going to. So that's a it's a bad yeah. spot to be in if you're up by five late on Kansas. You don't. Uh, yeah. <laughs> okay. So what that's about good. the uh, the Iowa State TCU and Purdue? Oh, Nebraska? give me Iowa State. I just don't trust TCU. Um, and after that, dump after dumping those two games this week, and then uh, give me Purdue. Uh, Nebraska's banged up, and uh, Purdue is. They play. They have a lot of good wins and a lot of losses, but they have a lot of good wins, and this will be another good win for them. Okay, I agree with everything except for Kansas. Um, I kind of liked Kansas, but then um, I, I, I. It's tough because I think Kansas is good offensively, and they'll be able to score better than most of the Texas Tech. But Kansas is not good defensively, and Texas Tech's not good offensively. So it's like a little bit of a. It's like bad versus bad and good versus good. Um, but I am going to take Texas Tech. I'm also who's. Yeah. I'm also banking on Marcus Garrett playing in that game, so that would be a nice a bonus. Yeah. And of late, uh, Texas Tech has been better on offense. 86 points in six possessions against Baylor, including those two that we just mentioned. 78 <laughs> and 61 possessions against Oklahoma State, and then um, they had 81 and 75 against West Virginia, um, and then they had one point per possession against Oklahoma. So the offense has been better of late. Uh, the defense has been great all season. Um, and then our last game, and maybe, maybe the game of the week, Michigan, a one-point favorite in Ann Arbor against Nick Wardless, Michigan State. We didn't talk about the Big Ten that much this week, um, but the Big Ten does have five or six teams within two games of first place with three to five losses. But Michigan and Michigan State and Purdue are the three that are most likely to win the conference. And this is the first of two matchups between Michigan and Michigan State. Uh, Michigan, of course, lost last week to Penn State at Penn State, but came back and played well, but winning by 13 against Maryland. Michigan State um, won both games last week at Wisconsin by 8 and at home to Ohio State by 18, but now has um, is a hairline fracture to the hand of Nick Ward, who will join Josh Langford uh, and probably miss most of the regular season, if not more. Langford's uh, declared out for the year, and Nick Ward appears to be probably out for the rest of the regular season at least. Yeah, uh, Michigan started the season 17-0. and and they've lost three games since then, so they're uh, six and three since then. So they're shaky. Uh, John Beeline amazingly got ejected from that Penn State game, which is crazy. Uh, but uh, I like Michigan in this game just because Michigan State's banged up. Um, uh, Michigan has to play Minnesota on the road before this game, so it's a little tricky week for them. Um, but uh, I'll take Michigan in this game. I like their defense still. That's still a pretty imposing defensive team. Yep, best defense in the Big Ten and one of the best in the country, um, number two in the country, uh, only behind Texas Tech that we just mentioned. I'm taking Michigan State. Um, just one, I need to make some comeback against you in the picks. we got to figure out how far behind I am still. Maybe I'm ahead, but I doubt it. Um, <laughs> I doubt it. <too. laughs> 
Ouch. Um, but uh, but I do think that having a game against Rutgers in advance of that will help Michigan State to prepare for life without Nick Ward. They should be better defensively without Nick Ward, but also not as good offensively. Um, and then ultimately, it'll be a matter of whether Cassius Winston get his uh, the offense going against Xavier Simpson, which is one of the best matchups to watch. One single game, one positional matchup in the country this year, Cassius Winston versus Xavier Simpson. Maybe the best offensive point guard in the country against maybe the best defensive point guard in the country. So on Sunday, you should watch if you're able. Yes. Get to a television or a phone or a tablet or a bar, which I guess would yeah. be a television. So. Yeah. Unless, you like the, unless yeah, I don't, I, don't, I don't have a good line there. But anyway. Okay. Um, so I think that'll do it for us. We've uh, spent some time here on the at the end of this President's Day weekend trying to give you the best in uh, college basketball, uh, and we probably failed, but maybe you liked a little bit of it. If you yeah. did, rate, review, subscribe, iTunes, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, um, Google Play Music. If there's a platform that you want us to be on that we're not, let us know. It only takes one. It's a, as they say, it's a big baseball phrase. It just takes one. It just takes one listener to say, can you go on Alexa? So I can say, Alexa, play the Double Bonus Podcast. If you want that, we will see about that. If it's well, you can do it through. Do, you, can, you can do it through Spotify. I think if you're on Spotify, oh, you, you can, can play the podcast through Alexa. Oh, yeah. Okay. Well, then you already can do that. So don't yeah. ask for that. Don't you ask for do. that. Think, yeah. If you're yeah. having trouble with it, figure it out. Okay. We're, yeah. we're not going to hold your hand. Yeah. Um. Uh, anyway, uh, email us doublebonuspod at gmail.com. You can be with the would-be assassin, and we can read your email on the air and discuss it for uh, a lengthy period of time. Um. And doublebonuspod.com is our website, and at doublebonuspod on Twitter. Hit us there, follow, add us, and you know all that, all that stuff, like like, like the kids do. We're not on Snapchat, but maybe someday. Yeah. Probably not. Although you never I know. Figured, I just got my password back to Snapchat. It took me like, I was like a year and a half not logged into Snapchat, but I'm I'm back in. So. Oh, you're uh, back on? Because I was gonna, I had actually sent one of my first Snapchats in a long time. Yeah, the bar I was at last night had a bunch of books in the bathroom, and they were all terrible. So you can guess what I said in my Snapchat. <laughs> Good hunting, Dude. of course. Yeah. Oh. <laughs> you people baffle me. You surround you yourself with books. You have all these books. books and they're the, the long, wrong blanket books. books. Yeah. <laughs> anyway. What a, what a um, way to go out. Yeah. Yeah. Anyway. Uh, until, that, uh, until that day comes, Tom. Keep your ear to the grindstone. Yep. There's no reason... I think they're going to do something attacking the basket, but we'll see. We'll see. Jerome's got to get it in. It's Hunter for three. You called it. A bank! It's open late, and Virginia wins number one and holding. Can you believe it? I, have, I believe anything that happens in this league this year. I applaud Tony Bennett.